Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of I Pledge Allegiance. This week, I'm chatting with Simon Jones from Volts. Volts is an interest rates swap protocol that allows users to access variable and fixed rate exposure all through the AMM. Super useful for traders, yield farmers, and other users that are just looking for new and different ways to get exposure to yield. And the reason we're chatting with Simon this week is they've recently just put up a very interesting proposal on Uniswap governance, where they're asking permission to use the business source license for the Uniswap v3 code. This is a pretty interesting proposal, just given some of the precedent that it could possibly set for both how communities think about licenses in the future, but also just how DAO to DAO interaction and partnerships could end up looking. So yeah, super excited to be chatting with Simon today. And thanks for coming on. That's no problem. It's great to be talking to you. So I guess to jump right into it, what is this proposal you've been working on? Yeah, sure. So as you were saying, at Vaults, we're building out a protocol that effectively brings interest rate swaps to DeFi. And just to talk to the kind of opportunity there a little bit first, um, before then kind of moving into exactly the way in which we've built it and, and the context behind the proposal. Interest rate swaps are just a core pillar of any well-functioning financial system. So if we look at traditional finance as an example, in traditional finance, there's literally one quadrillion. So with a Q, uh, there's a quadrillion of notional exchanged every year in traditional financial IRS. It's that big because it's so important to the kind of functioning of the financial system. But in DeFi today, that number is essentially zero which is for a whole bunch of reasons, one of which was timing, uh, which is kind of no longer the case. Uh, but the other is actually the complexity of the innovation. And what we're doing at Vault is essentially we've, we've figured out how to build an interest rate swap AMM. And not only have we figured out how to do that, we've actually figured out how to do it through a mechanic that is around 3,000 times more capital efficient than alternative structures. And that's essentially driven off a bunch of modules kind of including, say, for example, our margin engine, which allows traders to trade with leverage, uh, but also is driven off the use of concentrated liquidity concepts pioneered in Uniswap v3. So that helps drive the capital efficiency. And when we were first kind of exploring this model, we thought we might be able to route trades via v3 to take advantage of the concentrated liquidity mechanic. But then when we started actually getting into kind of the, the real depth of actually building out the code and the code base around the AMM, it became really clear that actually there's a kind of some very low level kind of elements of V3 and the way in which concentrated liquidity works that needs to be native to our code base with the vast majority of everything else being, you know, innovations that are very specific to a well-functioning IRS AMM. But obviously Uniswap v3 is kind of subject to what's described as a business source license, so you, which basically at the highest level means that you can't just take that code and use it within your code base. So what we did at that point is we reached out to various people at Uniswap, then became or were made aware of the fact that there is a mechanic within the license that allows Uniswap governance to vote in order to allow other teams to uh, kind of use parts or all of the V3 code. That kind of mechanic is described as an additional use grant. And it was at that point that we then kind of basically kicked off the governance process with Uniswap, 
where we were requesting this additional use grant in exchange for 1% of Volts' future tokens, alongside a number of other kind of non-financial benefits, which I can talk to in a minute. It's worth just adding a few things. So in terms of, you know, our kind of IRS AMM, so interest rate swap AMM, you know, the vast majority of that code is, is kind of innovations that we had to come up with in order to create an interest rate swap market. And actually what it means is there's only around 5% of our code base, which is like for like from Uniswap V3. I think that's probably helpful context, but yeah, obviously excited to, to talk through the, the kind of uh, proposal in more detail. Got it. Super fascinating and a lot to unpack here. I'll let you in a bit talk about the specifics of the proposal and the process so far, but just curious, when you guys were looking at sort of the AMM models to, to use as part of the code base here, like why go with UniV3? Did you guys take a look at other projects here? We did. So the, the thing that we were really optimizing for as a team is to be as capital efficient as possible. The reason for that is if, if we think about like the spectrum of people that kind of are involved in, in DeFi today, it, it kind of very broadly, if you just split that into retail and institutional, if the mechanic that we were using was not capital efficient, then our view was that the institutional kind of players in this space would not end up using it. So, you know, we spent a lot of time trying to find ways to make it as capital efficient as possible, which obviously includes things like our margin engine, which allows traders to trade with leverage. But then alongside that, the use of concentrated liquidity, you know, not only does it clearly drive uh, capital efficiency, which was what we were optimizing for and therefore kind of opened up the institutional side of the market or opened up the AMM to the institutional side of the market. There are actually also a bunch of like second order benefits. One of which actually, which is very specific to interest rate swaps, is that unlike spot markets, so if I kind of think about, say, kind of USDC and ETH, uh, where that kind of price is constantly changing and, and therefore people have to kind of readjust the tick ranges within which they're providing liquidity to the AMM, with rates markets, actually rates markets tend to be mean reversing. So you do see these kind of sudden spikes at times where rates kind of move out of a range. But then typically, if you look at the data historically, it has then come back to kind of within a range. So being able to deposit liquidity within tick ranges rather than across the entire curve, that not only does it drive obviously capital efficiency, but is actually also a better mechanic for an interest rate swap AMM just more generally anyway. Got it. Super, super fascinating and, and makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And, and what are some of the use cases that some of these more sophisticated players might use interest rate swaps for? Yeah, I think at the most macro level, kind of what interest rate swaps as a pillar of a function of a financial system, what it kind of unlocks is stability and predictability. And what that means is it means that there are kind of traders who wish to do so, they can trade away variable kind of rate exposures in exchange for fixed rate exposures. And actually kind of institutions that say may have a large fixed rate lending book, if they want to, they can also trade away that fixed rate exposure in exchange for a variable rate exposure. And you can kind of see this when you look at traditional finance, there's a lot of kind of essentially like risk management that takes place using an interest rate swap market. And that type of risk management is not possible in DeFi today because the market doesn't exist. 
There are, of course, a bunch of other use cases. Uh, so it, it obviously allows you to take kind of directional views on the way in which rates uh, may evolve over time, which is another thing which is obviously not possible today. But yeah, I, I guess at the, the highest level, I would say that an interest rate swap market, it unlocks the ability to have stability and predictability within DeFi, which in turn should unlock a whole bunch of additional use cases such as fixed rate lending, fixed rate, uh, even, even more specific use cases to kind of, I don't know, real world assets, for example, like fixed rate mortgages. What we expect to happen off the back of this innovation that we're bringing to market existing in DeFi is that to basically act as the catalyst for a whole bunch of new products and services that couldn't exist before an interest rate swap market existed. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like up till now, the entire story of, of yield in crypto has, at least for, from a retail, what you see publicly, like it's been mostly people looking for exposure to volatile variable rates, such as yield farms. But I think, yeah, like going forward, if DeFi is going to be, yeah, like going forward, like one of the key building blocks of a more mature system is the ability to get specific structured exposure to yield. And I think this is going to be super useful. Yeah, exactly. And we, the way that we see it evolving is there's obviously, we think that there's going to be a bunch of different use cases that, cases that emerge. There'll be institutions that are using it for risk management. There'll be kind of retail, which are using it to take directional view on rates that could include kind of fixing in a kind of a, a rate of return on say a yield farm. Or if you want to act as a variable taker, on the AMM, that could include getting a levered exposure to the variable yield if you were to kind of choose to do that. But then also we see it acting as the catalyst, like I said, for a whole bunch of new products and services, which can't exist until an interest rate swap market exists. Totally makes sense. And yeah, I guess to, to jump into the proposal specifics, so you're asking to, you're asking Uniswap governance to, to use the business source license in exchange for giving them 1% of all tokens of all votes, votes tokens in existence down the line. And how did you come up with this structure? And is there any other part of the proposal that you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that's worth saying is it's obviously a, it's a precedent for DeFi. So there are no other proposals, at least that we're aware of, that exist where kind of essentially what's taking place is a form of DAO to DAO deal. So I, you know, that both makes it extremely exciting, but also means that, you know, when we're thinking about the structure of the proposal, we really have to just think about it from a first principles perspective. And the way that we looked at it really was that, you know, clearly there is a significant amount of innovation that took place in Uniswap v3. It feels like it's important for there to be some sort of financial like compensation for whatever want of a better phrase associated with that. So that's where we kind of came up with a decision to offer Uniswap 1% of Vault's future tokens in exchange for the additional use grant. But then alongside that, we think there are a whole bunch of non-financial benefits too both to the Uniswap community and also for what it means for, for kind of like DeFi more broadly. So to talk to what it, we think it means for the Uniswap community, there's obviously this important point, which is that interest rate swaps are just a core pillar of any well-functioning financial system, which 
kind of in our view, what that means is that as interest rate swaps exist within DeFi, that will help accelerate DeFi's displacement of traditional finance and help the whole sector grow, uh, which will obviously have kind of second order benefits to Uniswap uh, as the sector is growing. Uh, the second is that we think it kind of solidifies Uniswap's position in the market really as like the grandfather of DeFi. You know, Uniswap is in many, well, they are like the grandfather of AMMs, uh, but actually by providing this license to a non-competing team, building out another kind of core pillar of the wider financial kind of system, we actually think that that helps kind of, yeah, kind of like, like I said, solidify the view of everybody that kind of Uniswap are kind of very much the grandfather and, and helping other teams in this space. And then the final point, which is more kind of from, from our perspective to Uniswap is, you know, obviously we will be amplifying the ecosystem's understanding of how to provide or to act as an LP via V3, which having some form of standardization across the market is, is ultimately good for everybody. It's good for liquidity providers. It's good for kind of the teams that have that concentrated liquidity AMM mechanic. And by us using the same standard, that will help the ecosystem's understanding of it more broadly, which obviously has second order benefits to Uniswap. Got it. Super interesting to hear you just talk through the, not just obviously the financial benefit directly from the the 1% of all tokens, but the non-financial ones. So I guess to, to touch on the, the non-financial ones first, is there totally agreed that it's good for the Uniswap protocol and the Uniswap community broadly if they see if people if, if volts works really well a big part of that is is due to the underlying use of the v3 concentrated liquidity strategies and yeah as you said users that are using uniswap or other forms of it can sort of look at user behaviors on the volts amm and perhaps become more sophisticated users of, of uniswap as well so i think you're right like it's the more experiments we have around uh, around this, the better. Yeah, for sure. I guess to talk about the 1% number of all future tokens being airdropped to the Uniswap treasury, how did you come up with this number 1%? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And I think the first thing to just reiterate is obviously there's no precedent. In a scenario where the Uniswap community votes uh, for our proposal to go through, you know, if teams replicate that in the future, then they're obviously going to have the advantage of seeing how that's played out with us. Um, but for us, we have no precedent. And really the way that we look at it is that like most startup projects, you know, the outcomes tend to be relatively binary. It's, it's either successful or, or it's not successful. In a scenario where it is successful, which is obviously what we're all uh, shooting for, actually, we kind of see no reason why vaults as a primitive can't reach kind of a value of around 100 billion if not more you know when you look at traditional finance and the fact that there is a quadrillion of notional exchanged every year it's just an insanely large number and so incredibly important to that financial system if we actually deliver on the vision that we're all hoping to achieve where DeFi displaces traditional finance right vaults will be in a position to displace that huge market and have it all operating through the vaults amm and in that scenario, if Vaults then starts to become worth, say, 100 billion, that is worth around a billion to, to the Uniswap community, which is a very significant number. So we were looking at it through that lens, which is if it's successful, it, it's going to kind of 
be worth something very substantial to Uniswap. Obviously, if you kind of take the other outcome where it's not successful, then the truth is that, you know, apart from the time dedicated to voting, no one's really lost anything. So it felt like there was only upside, really, from if you look at it through that lens. And that's where we arrived at the 1% number. Yeah, totally makes sense. I wonder if there's any sort of traditional sort of expectations or analysis on on what sort of in non-crypto startups, if they're using licenses from other startups, what the normal rate is. And then you can back into like a crypto token value based off of like the valuation that the purchaser has fundraised at. No, I, I think that there is there is definitely analysis you could do around that. I think the thing which is different is it's it's not a revenue share or or like a constant payment or anything like that. It's it's a proportion of the tokens, which obviously has a value which you'd expect to increase over time. But then also it's not just the monetary value. It's the fact that the Uniswap community then actually get a say in the governance of the Vault's DAO and get a say in helping shape the way which vaults evolves over time, which for me is just worth way more than something like a revenue share, which you may see, or just a constant licensing payment, which you may see with a Web2 business. Like Web3 is fundamentally different. It's it's not just upside, it's actually a vote and the ability to have a say in the way in which the Vaults DAO is governed going forwards. Makes a ton of sense. And I want to double click on something you just said about having the Uniswap community continuously evolved through their tokens. How do you envision the... So, so obviously the treasury will have 1% of Volts tokens when it launches. How do you see the Uniswap community using those tokens and, and sort of getting involved? Do you want to see them actively contributing and actively voting? We would love to obviously see the Uniswap community kind of being active participants in Volts' governance. I think that that would be an incredible outcome. Like how that ends up working, I have a feeling that in the event that our vote and our proposal is successful, there'll probably be some sort of vote that comes up around exactly how to manage the Volts tokens and, and uh, kind of deal with governance votes within the Volts DAO. Two points which I think are actually quite exciting with the way in which this might evolve. The first is that we talk about software being composable, but actually what I think we are about to unlock is the ability to make communities composable too, where each individual community has their own kind of like natural areas of excellence. So the Uniswap community are very much the grandfathers of AMM design. In fact, actually, just they're incredibly involved, incredibly sophisticated as a community. And we see the innovation that that community is going to continue to kind of deliver on, you know, being something which is composable alongside the Vaults community, where the Vaults community are kind of really deep into the design of derivatives and to figuring out how to leverage AMM designs in order to create derivative markets. And obviously, the area in which we are delivering on that right now is on interest rate swaps. But having these types of composable communities going forward, it almost helps drive an exponential compounding of innovation in the space, where not only do we have the compounding of the software being composable, we actually have the compounding of the innovation, the ideas that are coming out of the communities too. So I think that's one thing which we're really excited about. 
And then I think the other thing which we're, we're kind of excited about is just the fact that it may trigger a new dimension for DAO to DAO relationships. So obviously we, we have partnerships today uh, that already exists, but we don't really have DAO to DAO deals. And what we're excited about off the back of this vote and in a scenario where it's successful is we can see a version of the future where it triggers a wave of new DAO to DAO deals. Kind of licensing is, I know there's strong opinions from different people in the community, but you know the ultim- ultimately the license exists on Uni V3. I, I think the Ave community have voted to use the same license for Ave V3 too. So licensing is clearly here to stay. And in a scenario where that licensing exists, you need these deals to take place in order to have this like compounding across communities and across ideas. We're excited about that opening up as a new dimension to DeFi as well, more broadly. Yeah, I, I think, as you said, yes, obviously, part of the purpose of this proposal is to directly use the code through the business source license. But the longer term motivation is to really give the Uniswap community a voice as Volts continues to develop and iterate the, their product, right? And and give them skin in the game to not just hope Volts succeeds, but really to, to, to work with you guys throughout, along the way and give feedback and offer suggestions. Because again, like they will both have, they will have obviously direct voting power, but also now just indirect alignment, right? Through just having seen you go through the governance process and become an active member of the community. And yeah, I completely agree. And it's kind of, it's to this point around community composability and the ability for communities to like compound innovation. There's obviously on one hand, there's the communities excelling in their areas of excellence, but then also on the other hand, there's the ability to share ideas across DAOs. And, you know, what we really hope happens in the future is, Obviously, the Uniswap community have got an active say in the governance of vaults. And, and on the other hand, you know, the, the vaults community in a scenario where the vote goes through successfully will forever be grateful to the Uniswap community for kind of voting for, for us to be able to have this additional use grant. And therefore, there is like a tying and the ability to share ideas across those two communities um, to op- ultimately help just accelerate the growth of the two DAOs and, and the ecosystem a lot more broadly. And, and as you're going through the governance process, what has been your experience in general? How did you sort of, it, it's definitely a new process, right? Compared to, for, for, for most people. And what are your thoughts overall so far? Yeah, I think the first thing that's worth saying is just how amazing the Uniswap community actually is. They're incredibly involved and thoughtful right from the moment we wrote the first kind of proposal on the forum but not only are they like incredibly involved and thoughtful they're actually be also been extremely welcoming to kind of new uh, kind of innovative ideas and they've been very actively involved in both getting us kind of into the uniswap community so for example we, we then went and sat on one of the uniswap community calls and, and spent about an hour talking to the community about the proposal but then there's also they've also been incredibly involved in the voting. You know, people kind of obviously at times they kind of talk about kind of governance fatigue. But what we've seen from the Uniswap community is that they are extremely actively involved. But yeah, I guess in in terms of like the 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 actual process itself, it's from our perspective, it's just been 
it's been really nice that the Uniswap community have been so welcoming to us and so welcoming to what is just a brand new idea for this space. And and honestly, like just enjoyed the process. You know, obviously if the vote's successful, that's gonna kind of obviously have a a kind of say in the ultimate feeling. But regardless of the way in which the vote goes, we've just enjoyed getting to to know the Uniswap community and and seeing their reaction to our proposal and how welcoming they have been to us. And has there been any pushback from community members that has, or just suggestions that have ended up affecting the the final proposal? None that have affected the final proposal. I I think there was obviously some discussion around kind of 1% and, you know, like we've discussed whilst we've been talking, how did we get to 1%? Is it the right number? There's a bit of back and forth, both between us and the community and actually amongst the community itself. And I think the ultimate feeling was that was just kind of directionally the right number, particularly given there's no precedent. One of the other points which obviously came up is just whether or not there was some form of reputational risk to Uniswap as a community. Uh, But I think the thing with Vault Labs kind of like team is, you know, we are very public around who's in the team, which obviously helps just to kind of reduce some concerns from a reputational perspective. But then also alongside that, we've got some of the biggest backers in the whole of Web3, you know, helps reinforce and drive confidence. And we're very, very clearly here for the long term, too. So I think all of those points uh, alongside us spending time with the Uniswap community, both on the forums and and in the kind of community call, uh, helped people become kind of comfortable with the idea that there wasn't really a material reputational risk with us as a team. Uh, And then there was obviously like a separate point from a reputational perspective around, you know, what happens if Vault gets hacked, for example. And I think the first thing that's worth saying is obviously, you know, we take that incredibly seriously. We've got our kind of contracts under audit at the moment. We're doing three audits. After that, we'll move on to testnet for a period of time with the bug bounty program. We're never going to launch with any kind of known security issues or anything like that. It's something that as a team we, we care about greatly. But also in the kind of extreme event that there were some form of hack, you know, we would obviously announce publicly kind of what's happened. And if that were to relate to the 5% of our code base that is like for like from Uniswap, then, you know, arguably the Uniswap community would be kind of grateful to hear about that issue and kind of to be made aware of it, which is important. But if it was not related to the code, which is like for like from Uniswap v3, then we don't really see any rational reason why that would affect Uniswap. So I think off the back of all of that, both kind of getting more comfortable with us as a team, us as a project, the backers, the types of people that are involved alongside just kind of really understanding how seriously we take security, I guess ultimately meant that there were kind of no really, no real kind of pushback to the proposal and actually fast, the majority of it was extremely positive. That's great to hear and, and makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, right? Like one of the, the challenges that I've come across and seen with just data doubt collaborations is if someone posts an idea in another community's Discord and, and governance forum, you're going to get tens or potentially hundreds of responses and varying opinions. There's no, unlike a traditional business in a beat it out process, there's no like single stakeholder that can make that decision. If you're selling a product or, or looking for a partnership with another centralized company, you know that 
if you're selling like a compliance product, you might have to talk to the to the chief compliance officer. If you're selling a, a risk-based product, you talk to the chief risk officer or the VP of risk. With DAOs, they're they're much more flat, and there's a lot of anyone can comment and express their opinion. How do you, as someone that needs to to read through all of that and, and navigate it, filter through all the different opinions and candidly like realize who's providing good feedback and, and who to listen to? I would almost kind of flip it in my mind to the kind of positives, which is that I love the fact that everybody in the community, no matter what their ownership is, they have the opportunity to have a say in the way in which the community and the protocol is managed. You know, that obviously means that you receive a lot of responses, but we kind of loved reading through all of those responses. It was it was nice to see so much engagement from the community. You know, ultimately that means when you kind of have like decision by consensus, for want of a better phrase, you know, that ultimately means that there is going to be a bit more back and forth. And, and a good example of that is we had some back and forth on the 1% number where, you know, we kind of put a stake in the ground of what we thought was fair and appropriate. And then there was kind of like a discussion around that and that there were people with different opinions. And some of that discussion was us with members of the community and some of it was the kind of Uniswap community with other members of the Uniswap community. In my mind, I kind of approached from the other perspective, which is just that it's so nice for everybody to be able to have a, a say in the governance of the DAO, uh, no matter what their ownership is. And we, we enjoy talking to, to, to everybody that kind of asked questions and had opinions within the community. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And I guess the other thing to add would be if there's recurring sort of themes or, or comments from many different people along the same lines, then you can also just simply use that as a is a barometer for how people feel. If there's like points that, I guess I, I'm just wondering if some people in the community are fine with 1% number and others are like, oh, it should be much higher. It's great that both sides are expressing their opinion, but like, how do you go about sort of how that impacts how, how you think about sort of your proposal? Yeah, no, it, that makes sense. And I guess from our perspective, we, what we found is that the was a majority who were supportive of, just in this example, that the 1% number, and a, I think a kind of relatively small minority that felt it could be higher. You know, off the back of just that relative weighting, I guess another way of kind of saying it is also, you know, was, as we kind of asked questions to try and understand why people, for example, thought it might be higher, the kind of pushback and response to that question was about, I guess, a bit softer relative to the support that we received for the fact that it was the right number. And then off that, we just took a view that actually we felt that we had got it kind of correct and that it was reflective of the overall community's feeling of what was appropriate. But yeah, you're definitely going to get kind of difference in opinions. And ultimately, the, the way that we kind of solved that or kind of made a decision around that was just the relative weighting and the strength of that opinion as the discussion continued to evolve. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I do wonder, as we see more of these proposals, interaction between DAOs, if these communities will basically develop specialized niches and areas where specific community members will, will focus on. You could see 
like I think there will be some norms and expectations around what these DAO to DAO partnerships will look like, and like it's not out of the question to for for the DAO to to hire a person or, or a set of people to specifically work on creating a a standard around it and potentially even negotiating on its behalf at some point because from the way that you described it sort of reading through the forums and and seeing people's opinions like i think that makes a ton of sense and and is what anyone would do but i think from uniswap's perspective like i don't know if that's a scalable strategy in the long term just given that there will probably be many more proposals like this and and eventually you could run into kind of just like attention fatigue yeah just an idea yeah no I, honestly i i completely agree and it's actually something which we have written about uh, quite recently as well is with this being the first ever kind of like doubt to doubt deal actually if you think about how that scales going forwards we could very easily see for example a, a sub dow or like whatever you want to call it being created say within uniswap and perhaps also ultimately within Ave, given that I understand that they're kind of using the same license as what Uniswap has, where that sub DAO is responsible for assessing the merits of different DAO to DAO deals. And then also perhaps also being uh, kind of the individuals that are responsible for having an active say in the governance of those protocols. But like, you know, how that evolves when put to the community, I'm sure the community can come up with millions of different ideas of what that could look like and and will ultimately end up with something much better than kind of perhaps what i've just suggested uh, but we could very much see there being kind of a, a new type you know we have grants for example we have a grants DAOs. uh you we could easily see there being some sort of like dow to dow deal dow uh created in the future totally makes sense and another idea that just occurred to me is what are your thoughts on dow to dow deals that involve token swaps on both sides, either with already launched tokens or, or promises to do so in the future. Because in this scenario, it's a little different, right? Bolts is asking you to swap for a specific piece of code and, and to use the, the business source license specifically. But we've also started to see some proposals in other projects where there isn't something specifically tangible being exchanged necessarily. It's more exchanging tokens to to give both communities skin in the game to collaborate on a new financial product that, that both projects can tap into or, or a new concept that they can iterate on together. So curious your thoughts on just like token swaps. Honestly, I, I love it. I think it comes back to this point around how can we kind of almost make communities composable themselves to help drive this exponential compounding of like innovation in the space and you know the fact that just on whilst we've been talking we kind of like been exploring what we're doing plus what other people are doing in the space I, I think the kind of types of doubt to doubt deals and interactions that take place going forwards there's almost a design space around that in its own right which is vast and i'm just excited i, I guess i am excited for us and the uniswap community uh, to be a small part in kind of the history of doubt to doubt deals in, in a scenario where this goes through but I'm also excited to see kind of what other versions of it uh, kind of evolve in the future and, and how that helps drive more compounding and innovation across the whole space. Certainly, I think we're going to see many different forms of data collaboration with different economic agreements, with different working arrangements and, and different end results.
right? You could see it eventually lead to verticalization of, of various protocols and, and closer working relationships. What kinds of tips would you have for any other founders or creators of, of DeFi protocols or, or non-DeFi protocols that are looking to engage another DAO in a partnership or, or collaboration? Like what should they think about sort of as guiding principles? Yeah, we had this come up for one of the university groups, actually, plus a few other people in the space. And there's certainly a part of me that feels a little bit uncomfortable providing tips while the vote's still ongoing. Maybe just to talk to our experience of things that we've found kind of work well in, in some ways is just to really make a very conscious effort of being as embedded as possible with the community. And we've obviously been helped massively with that, with the fact that the Uniswap community have been so welcoming to us from the very first moment that we put up uh, the first discussion post. But yeah, certainly getting kind of getting to a place where the community which you're kind of engaging with know you extremely well, know who you are. Uh, you've built a relationship with them. You've listened to their opinions. You've discussed those opinions. You made changes to your proposal if, if that's appropriate all before ever starting some sort of voting process, you know, that is something which we certainly found kind of worked well for us. Let's see, you know, the, the vote's still ongoing and, and in a few days we'll find out whether or not it's just candidly kind of kind of helped create the outcome which we're looking to create. Yeah, I, I perhaps feel uncomfortable talking explicitly to tips uh, whilst the vote is still ongoing. That's very fair and makes sense. I, I guess we can, we can do a retrospective uh, down the line once, once the vote has finished, and hopefully you guys have just had more direct insight from from working through this experience and and starting the collaboration. Yeah, no, for sure. Let's do that. So yeah, I think we'll be able to get this episode out before uh, the end of the vote, and for any listeners that are have uni tokens and thinking about voting, is there anything else that you wish you could tell them that they would understand right now? Well, I think there's there's two sides to it. There's there's one side, which is the merits of the proposal just in isolation, where obviously we, we have uh, the 1% of Vaults Feature Tokens alongside the non-financial benefits. But then I think also the other side is kind of what does it mean for DeFi just more broadly? And, you know, this would be the first ever DAO to DAO deal of this type in a scenario where kind of it is successful, we'd expect it to unlock a whole wave of new kind of DAO to DAO deals, which is just a really exciting moment for DeFi and to find ways for communities and DAOs to kind of interact together in a way that is both economically beneficial to both kind of communities um, whilst also accelerating the growth of the whole sector, I think it's a pretty exciting uh, kind of moment just for kind of D DeFi and for DAO to DAO kind of deals more broadly. Yep, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, there's a, a, a few other projects that have have thought about and, and, and are using this license mechanism, Aave being probably the most prominent. What are your general thoughts on the different kinds of licenses? For context, there's business source licenses, there's MIT and GPL licenses, which are probably a little bit more, more open and, and permissionless. And I think is what Uniswap 
currently business source license will become in a few years. Curious if you have any thoughts on just licenses broadly. Yeah, it's obviously a contentious point, I guess, for want of a better word. I, there's, in my in my opinion, there's pros and cons on each side. You know, if something is just completely open source, on one hand, you can argue that that makes teams innovate faster because, you know, ultimately kind of the more innovative teams are the ones which stay kind of one step ahead of everybody else. But on the other side, you could argue that it means that there are good teams that are kind of incentivized just to fork rather than perhaps come up with their own innovation. So I can certainly see the pros and cons on each side. And I think that the, there's arguably elements of both which are true. I think what is more interesting, I guess, is that, you know, these licenses, they do exist. It's now with Uniswap doing it as the first, and now it looks like they're kind of going to replicate that. Um, you know, obviously each project and each DAO really has their own right to decide. What's quite cool, I think, in, in many ways is that kind of what we're doing with Uniswap is showing that whilst you might have a license, instead of it perhaps being kind of open source code from a licensing perspective, we're shifting to open source deals. And that kind of really adds a new dimension really to the ways in which DAOs can interact with each other and arguably kind of creates a what we describe as like a plus sum game where in order for that deal to go through, you've got to really demonstrably prove that you're not competing, uh, that you are kind of leveraging a part of that code base in an entirely new space for DeFi or just more broadly across Web3. So instead of us all competing, like say, unlike say when you fork and you're there for kind of competing for a proportion of the same pie, what we're doing is by using the code in a kind of completely new area, we're actually kind of growing the size of the pie, which is why we kind of describe it as a plus sum game. But yeah, I think it's obviously contentious and, and each, in my opinion, each team has or each project has their own kind of right to decide whether to have a license or not. I think what's nice is that even in a scenario where you kind of have a license, it's not like it shuts off opportunities. It just opens up new ones. And that's really what we're seeing with the vote, which we've got going through with Uniswap at the moment. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. I think there's trade-offs with both approaches. I think in Uniswap specific case, they've made a, a strategic, arguably rational decision to sort of have the business source license in the short term. And then, yeah, longer term sort of expand the permissions and, and abilities over time. So yeah, we'll be interesting to see how that develops. Is there anything else that we should talk about today? I think honestly, we've covered a lot of ground and we could call it here. But if there's anything else that you want to bring up or anything else in DataDAO, we can chat about that too. But I think so. Well, Simon, this was a super interesting discussion and really interesting to hear how you approached the, the governance process from start to finish and to just hear some of the, the, the opinions and feedback from the uh, Uniswap community so far. I hope this passes. I am a big supporter of Volts myself and think that it makes a lot of sense and is a win-win for both sides. So yeah, super pumped to vote on this myself and to see where this collaboration hopefully brings us in the next year. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And um, I'm also kind of super excited to see where the, where the vote goes and kind of what it means for kind of doubt-to-doubt relationships going forwards. It's hopefully a really exciting kind of moment that hopefully unlocks a lot of similar deals like this, which will be really exciting for the whole space.
So yeah, thanks for having me and obviously excited to see where the vote lands over the next few days. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Simon. Great talking to you. Thanks. Great talking to you as well.